You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. Except we finished the Bible, so now we're talking about stories that seem like they should be in there, but aren't. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I'm Lauren O'Neill. And let's get biblical. Let's get biblical. But before we do, as always, we'd like to remind you, keep your hands in the vehicle at all times, because who knows what could grab you. Don't get on this ride if you're pregnant or have heart problems. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study program, nor is it appropriate for children. I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I was uh, in the worship band. I taught Sunday school. I'm now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew, Lauren. Yes. You know what we're doing tonight. What are we doing tonight? Cracking off a fresh undo. We are on episode 101. This is intro to Bible. And our topic tonight is beasts of the bible Mm, they so wild they so big (laughs) and uh this is an interesting uh topic in that most of the i hope so (laughs) most of the mythological beasts that we're going to be covering actually do appear in the canonical bible but i wanted to start with some non-mythological beasts of the bible how would Mm. you feel about that you know what warm inside great um here's a fun trivia fact that i learned a few years ago cats are never mentioned in the bible that's super weird though it's weird because they were around the ancient egyptians were worshiping they were all about cats maybe that's why maybe that's why dogs are mentioned several times but they're always as like filthy violent animals that like eat corpses and stuff they're not there was no biblical we rate dogs there was no biblical yeah there was no biblical dog spotting um good friend doggo round boy etc asses or donkeys Mm. are mentioned they're all over this thing over 130 times wow (laughs) the bible is an is an ass affirming document Mm -hmm. there are some Words that have been traditionally translated as mythological beasts, like that have been translated as like dragon, serpent, basilisk. Um, and those are now more often translated as stuff like jackal, hyena, cobra, viper. Mm. Interestingly, ancient Israelites seem to have domesticated pigeons before chickens. Right, because chicken husbandry, is that uh-huh. what it's called? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Fouling? I have no idea. (laughs) Yep. 
It doesn't appear until the post-exile period. Post-exile period. Now, obviously, by Jesus' time, right? You know, he says Peter's going to betray him before the cock crows. So. Mm-hmm. And he also refers to like God raising his children as a hen sits on eggs or some crap. Oh, does he? I think so. No, I only remember the the sheep references. There's a lot of sheep and goats in the Bible. As oh, well. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, they domesticated pigeons before chickens. Horses are in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, they are They're mainly also in the back. <laughs> and the horse tack is attached. They're uh, they're mainly pulling chariots. Mm. They're not being ridden. Right. If an animal is being ridden, it's usually a donkey or a camel. Isn't that because, like, saddle technology as we know it was only developed, like, in 1000 A.D. Um, or something like that? That might be because the donkeys were not saddled as such. They right. would just kind of throw a blanket over. Um, and the camels, I don't know, but maybe you – I mean, a camel saddle is different. You kind of have to build an architecture over the hump or yeah. between the humps if it's a Bactrian camel. Mm-hmm. But they also don't have stirrups. I think like stirrups were the big invention. Oh, stirrups. Damn it. I'm, I'm really wish I had the, the wiki page open right now so I could break your sweet brain open all over the cardboard. <laughs> okay. With some amazing saddle facts. The uh, horses are, are also associated with Egypt mm. in the Bible. Um in fact, that's um, that's one of the signs of King Solomon's corruption by his many foreign wives. Oh, is that true? That he yes. gets he becomes a horse boy. He becomes a horse boy, ah. and it's like, no, we left those behind in Egypt. Got it. Just, well, along with all the cats, presumably. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, also, as we mentioned in our Lilith episode, there is one biblical canonical mention of a Lilith as mm-hmm. a as a possible night demon in AKA, Isaiah. AKA a screech owl. Yeah, but also translated as a screech owl or a night jar or another uh, animal that actually exists. Um, of course, there's also lots of kosher laws about animals in the Bible. Clean animals are animals with a divided hoof mm. that also chew cud. Uh, so that's, you know, your goats, your sheeps, your cows, uh, then any water animal that has fins and scales. Okay. So most of your fish. Right. Your fishes. Most of your commoner fishes. Um, of course, there's several clean birds, such as a dove and a pigeon. Uh, unclear where chickens fit in the taxonomy. And there are a few... Insects that are claimed to eat, which are the locust, the katydid, the cricket, and the grasshopper. And apparently, rabbis debated for a long time which specific locusts they were talking about. Oh, my God. There's more than one kind of locust? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they narrowed it down to, like, this specific kind of grasshopper that has a long, flat face. (laughs) That's the one. That's the one that's okay. (laughs) Don't they all have long, flat faces? I don't fucking know. I feel like that's just a practical measure because the locust would come in and it would be like a plague, right? It would eat all your crops. Yeah, um, yeah. So I a feel plague, like... Like a, some sort of plague. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> obviously it's literally a plague upon Egypt in the book of Exodus. But, you know, locusts still do that to this day. They come mm. and they strip all your crops. So I feel like it's just like, kill them, eat them. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. Unclean animals, I think, are interesting because they're so... Strange and varied. Right. Largely because uh, the ancient Israelite 
taxonomy is different from our current taxonomy. For example, like most insects are forbidden uh, because they crawl on four legs. Right. Insects obviously have six legs. Mm -hmm. Uh, They hadn't figured that out yet. So some of the unclean animals that have a divided hoof or chew cud, but not both. Right. Are the camel. Can't eat that. The hyrax, which is also known as the coney. Mm -hmm. The rabbit and the pig, of course. Um, Any water animals that don't have fins and scales, primarily shellfish. Um, Unclean birds include the eagle, vulture, kite, raven, owl, gull, hawk, osprey, stork, heron, hoopoe, and bat. A bat. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you know there was a big debate about whether badgers were clean or not? Yes. And the word has been translated as various things. Right. Sometimes as badger and then sometimes as like hyena or jackal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also another word, kipode, that is sometimes translated as hedgehog, sometimes as urchin. <laughs> <laughs> a little different there. But both spiky. Yeah, true. <laughs> Some sort of spiky boy. Can't eat him. Um, most insects, of course, are gone, as we mentioned. Uh, the weasel and the rat are forbidden for obvious reasons, as well as most great lizards, including the gecko, monitor lizard, skink, and chameleon. Damn. Were they hunting up a lot of skink? I mean, you know, back in the day, you got to think you you eat whatever you can. True. You know? Yeah. There's It's just a different time. Yeah, and if you're out there gigging... And you spear yourself a skink, let's say. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's hard-won food. That skink could be on your table tonight. Yeah. But, of course, it can't because God's going to get real mad with you. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting to think about a time when, like, starvation is actually a huge possibility mm. and a huge worry. And yet there are so many animals that are forbidden to eat. Mm-hmm. Not just the pig, which is a like very easy source of protein because mm-hmm. it's easy to raise them because they eat anything. Yeah, but also like just you know uh, lizards or uh, rabbits. Right. Camels. They had camels. Yeah. They were riding camels, mm-hmm. but they refused to eat them. God is mysterious. God is mysterious. Mysterious. Can I jump back onto badgers for just one second? Yeah. Let me hop back onto that badger for a moment, please. The word. That was apparently used as tahashim. Yes. Um, there was a period in biblical scholarship uh-huh. where it was translated as dugong. Oh, of course we did uh, establish in in our episode on the book of mm, Exodus or Leviticus or something that the tabernacle was to be made largely of dugong skins. Right. Are you telling me that it was actually badger skins? Well, it's been translated a whole bunch of different ways. Mm. It's probably a badger, although apparently. Newer translations are leaning towards a description of the skin of the thing from Mm -hmm. contemporaneous sources, which Mm -hmm. is like a blue patterned skin or a blue beaded skin rather than a specific animal skin. Oh, it's just any type of skin that you can that you can dye blue or I suppose so. Yeah. Hmm. Because we did look it up. Yeah. No, no. And dugongs did exist in the Nile. Yes. They knew about them. They knew about dugongs. Right. So it was a plausible translation. But do they have badgers down there? I thought badgers were like North American. Apparently. They have them in England. The badger is common in Israel. I will say that much. Oh, okay. Okay, so they did have badgers. Yeah. Okay. So that covers uh, more or less the 
real live animals that exist in the Bible. Things However, we would recognize. Yes. There are also some mythological creatures that we might not recognize. Mm. And the the most famous among them are the Leviathan and the Behemoth. Yes. Let's start with, if you will, the Leviathan. Okay. Big old sea monster. Yes. You know, maybe inspired by some sort of whale, shark, perhaps a giant squid or crocodile. Who can say? Mm. So it's described as a, as a serpent mm. of the sea in Isaiah. And in Psalms, it's described as having more than one head. <laughs> I just had an image of, you know, Lauren O'Neill described as a serpent of the sea <laughs> by the New York Times. I wish the New York Times would call me a serpent of the sea. So it's kind of an aquatic hydra dragon yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this was a common theme in a lot of ancient Middle Eastern mythology. So, for example, um, there's a story in the Baal cycle mm -hmm. about the Canaanite god Baal, who Israelites are strictly forbidden from worshiping. Even though they did for a long time. Many, many times in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Um in that story, Baal defeats a sea monster called Lotan, which mm -hmm. is very similar to Leviathan. In Hebrew, it's like Leuyathan, mm. so it's like even more similar. Um, and in in that story, the Lotan is a servant of the sea god Yam or Yamu, mm. and Yam is actually still the Hebrew word for ocean. Hmm. So you can see that they're connected. I can. Um, the Leviathan is also said to breathe fire which makes the depths of the sea boil uh, and is, is often used in the Bible as a symbol of God's might. For mm. example, in God's monologue in the book of Job, you know, when he's telling Job, like, what the fuck do you know? I created everything. And he's like, I created the Leviathan and I can catch it with a fish hook. Uh, you know, where were you when that was created? You don't know anything. Yeah. What else do you know about the Leviathan? Well, in commentary, the story of the Leviathan is, is greatly expanded upon. We've already talked about a couple of weeks ago, I think, that one of the angels has specific dominion over the Leviathan and its world. Mm -hmm. The idea that Leviathan lives in like this abyssal world, completely alone, waiting for the end of time. Yeah, because it's, it's so big. It's huge. It doesn't even really fit yeah. in the world. One thing I would like to ask you. We know that in the Bible, uh -huh. it says that all Leviathans are girls yes. and all behemoths are boys. Yes. That's in the real Bible. Yeah. we made it, When we did our episode on the book of Job and God is monologuing about the behemoth and the Leviathan, mm -hmm. we made a joke. Mm. And we were basing it off the show community where there's a joke about how all cats are girls and all dogs are boys. But it turns out that the book of Enoch actually ended up saying that all Leviathans are girls and all behemoths are boys. There's only one of each, so it's not a big spread. But the reason is that both animals were, um, these were like the two biggest mythological beasts that were thought to be so huge and so terrible that if they mated, then if two leviathans or two behemoths mated, then their offspring would be just like too monstrous and would destroy the world. Yes. So God had originally a mating pair of each, mm -hmm. but then he... He created them on day five, to be clear. Okay, thank you. That's important to know. But then he either killed one or uh, castrated one or, you know, depending on the legend. And so that's where the Book of Enoch came up with that idea. And uh, Midrashim go more into this. Do you know what 
is done with the extra of each? Um, well, I've heard tell. Okay. I've heard tell. Well, at the end of time. Yes. When everybody's invited to the big feast in the sky. Yes. The messianic banquet. Yeah. The super banquet. The main course is behemoth. And yes. the tent that everybody's sitting in is made out of Leviathan skin. Oh, interesting. I, I, I saw that um, that both the Leviathan and the behemoth would be served as meat. I didn't see that the Leviathan would be the skin. Uh, maybe he, maybe it's a giant dugong. Uh, maybe it is. It's probably related, at least. And there's a part of the, of the Sukkot prayer that says, So may I merit in the coming year to dwell in the sukkah of the skin of Leviathan. Oh. Okay, so a sukkah, Next year in Jerusalem. The, a sukkah is a hut that that's normally made out of, I don't know, whatever you have. I think it's normally like the traditional one is like palm leaves or something. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. But it's definitely not Leviathan skin. <laughs> not unless you can get it. And the behemoth, of course, we haven't really like said this yet, but it's, it's basically just the equivalent of the Leviathan, but on land. Mm-hmm. It's like a giant uh, kind of ox type thing, maybe. Uh, that lives on land, and there's only one of them, or perhaps two of them, but castrated, uh, possibly inspired by, uh, you know, a hippo or a rhino. Do you want the description from Job? Please. Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones eh? are as strong as pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. He's the size of a thousand mountains, according to folklore. Uh, He drinks so much water that God made a special river just for him. Also, at the end of time, I want to point out. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of these Leviathan and Behemoth stories are all tied up with the end of of time, Judgment Days. Yes. It's Uh, weird. It's like they're creation and then their judgment day it's like just they're at the very beginning and very end that's true don't have much impact on our day-to-day life except allegorically of course Um, however according to the rabbi judah bar simon Mm -hmm. judah bar simon however you want to roll that shimon shimon okay um those who in life have taken part in pagan sports pagan sports like lacrosse (laughs) (laughs) will not be allowed to participate in the hunting of the Leviathan and of the Behemoth in the Festival of the End of Days. Oh, they get to hunt them. I guess so. In that version of it, you, well, you get I guess you get to hunt down the living ones while the uh, already dead ones is served up, oh, okay. served up for, for so dinner. I read another version where they will slay each other. Yes. Oh, that's, part of, the, that's part of the entertainment. Yeah. And then, then you'll get to eat the, the meat, which I think that's great. That's God- Working smarter, not harder. That's right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let these beasts do all the work, and then you just do the slicing and dicing. Yeah. Here's a here's a a story that applies to the moment. In the Haggadah, Behemoth's strength reaches its peak on the summer solstice of every year, mm. which was just recently. Apparently, he lets out such a loud roar that it reduces the wildness and ferocity of all the other animals in the world wow. for the next year. And it said that if he doesn't let out this roar mm-hmm. on summer solstice every year, things then are going to get too crazy. Animals would just continue to get wilder and more insane. Damn. Until like 
the world would go out of balance. As we already know, animals are very insane. That's the main thing you know about animals. <laughs> They're absolutely freaking wild, <laughs> if you don't mind my saying so. You being the, the chief patron and keeper of the etymology corner uh-huh. might like this next little tad bit, okay. if you don't mind my okay. saying so. Russian language speakers, and apologies for my Russian here, uh, use the cognate word begemot to refer okay. to the hippopotamus. Oh, interesting. There's a, there's another word that's more like our hippopotamus, but they have used that one for a while as well. Okay. Now, I imagine that most of our listeners have heard of the Leviathan and the Behemoth. Mm-hmm. Um, because They're good Bible-loving folks. <laughs> well, and also just like um, those words, when they appear in the Bible, are, you know, it's like Leviathan and um, Behemoth. And they're translated as Leviathan and Behemoth. They're mm-hmm. not. They're, they're not translated into an English word. Um, but there are some other big sea monsters and and other mythological creatures in the Bible that you may not have heard of, um, because, for example, there is one beast, one sea monster that one is one creepy crawly, one creepy crawly that is mentioned far more often in the Bible than the Leviathan, mm. um, and it's the Tanin. Mm. But it's just translated usually as sea monster. Yeah. And so we're not familiar with the word. So um, in the Baal cycle that was mentioned earlier. Uh, by you. By me. You mentioned it. Just the... say that you did it. <laughs> it's the passive voice. Mistakes were made. The Baal cycle was mentioned. <laughs> um, so like the Lotan is is a servant yeah. of the god Yam or mm-hmm. Yamu. So is the Tanin. And in modern Hebrew, Tanin means crocodile. What? Speaking of. Also, spoiler alert, the anthology of essays that I co-edited, Empty the Pews, one of the essays is titled Running from the Monster of the Deep, and it centers on a Bible verse about the Tanin. Mm -hmm. It's also what rolling in the deep is about. Yep, that's true. Adele, big uh, biblical scholar and fan Biblical esoterica... (laughs) aficionado um there is a another sea monster yet another sea monster okay. in the bible called the well in english rahab uh in hebrew rahav uh not the same as the helpful prostitute in the book of joshua right who's also known as rahab that's yeah yeah rahav with a ch. completely separate letter from the ch in hebrew um so Rahav with an H means kind of arrogance or boastfulness. Okay. Um, and so this arrogant Rahab has been conceived of sometimes as a sea monster or demon, sometimes as the angel or prince of the sea mm. who disobeyed God by refusing to swallow all the water in the world. When commanded to do so. Now, why would God tell anyone to do that? Unclear. Um, it sounds like a frat initiation. Rahab said, uh, like, Lord, I, I already have enough. <laughs> and uh, I'm not thirsty, thanks. I'm not thirsty. It was a thirst trap. Classic thirst trap. In response, God kicked him to death. Holy shit. And uh, if the ocean hadn't been there to cover him, then his foul stench would have overwhelmed the world. That's a messed up story. So, yeah. So that's why he's like arrogant or whatever. It's because he like disobeyed God. Um, But Rahav is also used as the poetic epithet for Egypt, which, of course, 
was an enemy of the Israelites due to the whole Moses slavery thing. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that's kind of... Slavery incident. The the slavery incident. I imagine that's kind of like a built-in diss, you know, it's like calling Egypt arrogant in the poetic title. Mm. I couldn't find anything about whether it has to do with like Pharaoh's army being drowned in the Red Sea. Mm. I thought maybe that's... Where it comes from? And yeah, like some kind of connection. Covering up their, the foul body of Pharaoh's army. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I couldn't find anything about that. Hmm. What I did find was something, just a trivia fact. In 2009, the Hebrew Language Academy officially named the planet Neptune Rahav, because that's Neptune is like the sea god. Yeah, yeah. And then Rahab is like the closest thing that Jewish mythology has to a hmm. sea god. Interesting. Um, but... I think most people just say Neptune in Israel. Wow, cool. Do you know the context in the Bible where where those two sea monsters are described? Yes. So the tanin, or taninim is the plural, mm-hmm. um, are mentioned. Mm, delicious tannin. <laughs> yeah, delicious that's tannin. Makes, that's what makes acorns so tasty, right? <laughs> yep. And you leave it in there. That's the most important thing about cooking with acorns. Um, the tanin is uh, also created on the fifth day. Mm-hmm. To be specific. Busy day. Yeah, it was a great day. <laughs> um, and it's it's mainly used to talk about, like, God's might. It also appears in this, like, monologue in Job, just like the Leviathan right, and the right, Behemoth. Right. But it also appears in a couple other books. Um, oh, that's when he has dominion over the beasts of the land and the sea monsters yes, and, and blah, blah, and, blah. and, you know, God can defeat the sea monsters and blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, and then Rahab is, um, is usually given as like as a reference to Egypt mm. um but is sometimes translated as like pride or arrogance and then it's it's outside of the bible i believe that it's uh, associated with a sea monster yes. with the, the prince of the sea or whatever yes cool is that the end of the beasts it's not but i think we should take a break oh my that's too much for me to handle <laughs> we're we're going to take a break we're going to process some of this crazy beast information Mm -hmm. and then we're gonna be back to tell you about more beasts okay i'll see you in about a minute bye Bye. Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm not. <laughs> That's Nico over there. And we are talking about beasts 
of the Bible. Now, we've covered uh, real beasts that appear in the Bible. Yes. Such as camels, Mm -hmm. asses, Mm -hmm. dogs. Uh, And we've covered the behemoth and the leviathan, which are like the definitive monsters. Those are your gold standard S-tier Bible beasts. What's S-tier? S-tier is above A. Oh, wow. I thought it was God-tier. God tier is also acceptable. Okay. But S tier sounds like it's shit tier. A little blasphemous in this case. Well, fair enough. Um, So we know about the definitive monsters of the land and the sea. But what about the air? The skies? The skies. The skis? There is a giant bird equivalent of the Leviathan and the Behemoth. Why? Because people like balance. There's a land monster, water monster. Gotta have an air monster. Gotta have an air monster. And it is called the Zs or the Ziz. I had not heard of it until I started researching this episode, but it actually is mentioned twice in the canonical Bible. Yeah, you didn't remember that? I remember <laughs> I remember looking it up at the time. What? Really? Yeah, absolutely. It's only in the book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually translated both times as insects. You looked it up? Well, I had heard about the Ziz before. Huh. Well, so what's weird is that both times it appears in the Bible, it's called the Ziz Shaddai, Mm -hmm. which is like El Shaddai, which is translated as like the Lord Almighty. Yeah. Um, The the translation of Shaddai into Almighty is like kind of questionable. So it's, it's not like you can't really be on solid ground to say that it's being translated as like the Ziz Almighty, but it is a little weird. It is. Um, It is a giant bird. How big is it? When it stands in the ocean, the water only reaches to its ankles and its head is in the sky. Some say its head reaches as far as the throne of glory, where it sings songs to God. That's from Howard Schwartz's Tree of Souls. Its wings blot out the sun. Uh, It once laid an egg that crushed a forest of 300 trees. And the liquid from the broken egg flooded 60 cities. So I guess the Ziz is female. Yeah. So of the three animals, we got two to one female to male ratio. Two girls for every boy. <laughs> two girls for every boy. Do you know the Ziz has another name? What's that? Renanin. Renanin. Because he is the celestial singer. He is also called Sequi, the seer. Hmm. Besides, he is also called son of the nest. Wow. But because... it's actually is she. <laughs> Or maybe they thought male birds laid eggs back then. Who I don't knows? know. Who knows? It's a good, it's a good, good point. <laughs> because their fledgling birds break away from the shell without being hatched by the mother bird. They spring directly from the nest, as it were. There you have it. Apparently, this is also a delicacy to be served at the end of the world. Yes. Um, the name Ziz comes from, apparently, because its flesh tastes like this and like that. Ze is Hebrew yeah, yeah. for this. That's one of those classic rabbinical like back formations. Yes, it has to be a back formation. But it, I, first of all, like to say like this and like that, in modern Hebrew, now you say kacha kacha, mm-hmm. which is completely different from ze ze. But also like, it's just like, yeah, it tastes like chicken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like a little bit of this, yeah, like just, a little bit of that. Um, one time, King Solomon heard a prophecy that one of his daughters would marry a poor man. Mm. So he locked her up in a tower to prevent that. But then the Zs brought a poor man up into the tower, and that was how they met, and then they secretly married. 
So Solomon fell into the old prophecy paradox there. Shit. Yeah. It, it'll trap every king mm-hmm. once, once, but not any more than that. Also, Solomon had like hundreds of wives. Right. So I feel like it's not really realistic for him to imagine that all his daughters will be able to marry rich men. Like there's not enough rich, enough rich men, men in the kingdom, probably. <laughs> probably not. Uh, there's another similar story where the Z's takes a young scholar named Shlomo, which is Hebrew for Solomon. Um and flies him into the courtyard of the king of Spain, mm. where he meets the the king's daughter, the princess, and they fall in love studying the Torah together, and uh, they're secretly wed. But then the Z's inexplicably uh, picks the picks Shlomo back up and brings him back to his house, and then the the new bride must undergo trials to get back to him. Hmm, that sounds fun. Yeah. So apparently, this like. Pokemon style, like earth type, water type, <laughs> bird type, air type, yeah, or whatever. I very much imagine the Z's as Zapdos, by the way. Okay. I don't know what that is, but. You don't know what a Zapdos is? I don't know about Pokemons, baby. It's one of the three legendary birds in the original red and blue. Why isn't that a coincidence? It's, a, it's, a it's one of the three legendary mon- mon- I know. monsters here. That's why I'm saying. But it's the electric type. Oh. No. Well, anyway. <laughs> Scholars think mm-hmm. that the rise of the Ziz mm-hmm. or Zs as a mythological beast coincided with influence from from Persian or Parsi cosmology, hmm. where they have a super animal for each element. Oh, interesting. And they have a similar kind of thing in Babylonian mythology as mm-hmm. well. They're not like explicitly elemental, but you got your Tiamat. Who's yes. the who's the dragon in the sea? Yes. And you got your Kingu. Kingu? Kingu, yeah. <laughs> Is that like Ringu? <laughs> the greatest member of the Beatles? Or <laughs> I was thinking, you know, the the Japanese movie with the with the girl with the hair. No, it's not like Ringu. Okay. It's Kingu. It's Kingu. Totally different. <laughs> who's a who's the beast of the land and they got a beast of the sky, etc. Okay. So like there was a a style of having these elemental cosmological beasts around the uh, Babylonian time of the Babylonian exile. And I mean, obviously, um, I mean, this last story about being transported into the king of Spain's sure. courtyard. Yeah. That, that's like also clearly reacting to like, so Jews have been expelled from Spain multiple right. times. And I'm sure it has to do with with that. Yeah. I don't exactly know how I didn't read any commentary on it, but like. Clearly, it's interacting with that somehow. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. It's it's a very malleable mythology for these these creatures. Well, they, that's that's always the way of the Bible. That's what we've been, we've been talking about for weeks. You know, is that because it's such a diverse and dispersed text that these like shadowy corners, you know, when you need to, you can shine a light there and find what you need. Yes. Yeah. What, whatever whatever particular situation you're in. As uh, either an individual or a, or a group of people, you can find some portion of it that you can fill out to meet their circumstances. Yeah, that's what mythology does. Yeah. You use it to think about big circumstances and, like, work them out somehow, mm. narratologically. Damn, baby. Big circumstances. <laughs> uh, on the subject of mythological birds, there is also Jewish folklore about the phoenix. Hmm. Which is actually mentioned once in the canonical Bible in 
the book of Job during God's monologue about you don't know shit. Yeah. I made all these creatures, including the phoenix. Um, apparently, so I always think of the phoenix as like Greek mythology. Yeah. But it actually might not be original to Greek mythology. It might stem from the Egyptian Bennu, mm. which is like a self-renewing a big, bird. big fire bird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in Hebrew, it's hol. So they might have taken it from Greek mythology mm -hmm. somehow. I mean, I mean like Job, Job is, is really is, old. It, it's one of the oldest stories in the Bible. Right. Obviously, it's, you know, by the time it was written down, it had probably gone through some changes. But it might have absorbed the idea of this regenerating bird from Egypt hmm. rather than from Greece. Um, and so in, in extra biblical mythology, the phoenix is the only animal that didn't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge when Eve offered it. Apparently. Hmm. I don't remember that part of the story. Well, that's not in the actual Bible. But apparently in mythology, after she eats the, the fruit. She's she, like, you guys gotta try yeah, this. It's great. It's amazing. And now you'll know that you're naked. Mm -hmm. And it's just really crazy. Can I get a box? Um, <laughs> And the phoenix alone refused and therefore it's immortal. So the, the angel of death cannot touch it. It can only touch these fallen animals that mm. ate. That, that sinned by eating this fruit. Um, it doesn't burst into flames as it does in Greek mythology. Rather, it gets smaller and smaller over 1,000 years, and then it either, like, uh, depending on the myth, becomes a, a baby and then an egg and then it rehatches. Mm, Benjamin Buttons. Or it kind of, like, falls apart and then two angels come down and, and regenerate it. Um, angels, and, angels on the on the freaking bird duty. Yes, you hate to see it, <laughs> but you love to be it. <laughs> and uh, unlike the behemoth and the leviathan, it's not just there's not just one phoenix. It's a whole species. It has hmm. babies. It reproduces. I see. Which seems like it would soon crowd out the world because every time there's a new one, it doesn't die. But I don't know. Another beast, to go completely on a different tangent, another beast that is mentioned often in the Bible, in fact, it's mentioned eight or nine times, whereas the behemoth is only mentioned once, is the Re'em. And uh, in the King James Version, that's usually translated as the unicorn. KJV is, of course, from like the 1600s. In the more modern New International Version, it's usually translated as a wild ox. Yeah, or an auroch. Yeah, so because there is a cognate word, rimu, in Akkadian, uh, the re'em is now identified with the aurochs, A-U-R-O-C-H-S, which is that like old type of wild ox that you see in cave paintings. Yeah, it's a big boy. It's a big boy. Um, it didn't go extinct until the 1600s. Whoa. Yeah, so it was around during Bible times. Hmm. Um, and... In modern Hebrew, re'em means oryx, O-R-Y-X, the type of antelope. antelope. Oh, yes. This is confusing. So, yeah. It's, Can it's, we cancel the show? <laughs> it's an antelope with with two long, straight horns. You yeah. might know it from the Margaret Atwood book, Oryx and Crake. Upon reading this, I thought, oh, oryx, oryx, spelled two different ways. They must be connected. Turns out, nope. Total coincidence. Just a coincidence? They're from completely different etymological backgrounds. Oh, my backgrounds. God. Um, but so in mythology, the Re'em is very large. It's the size of a mountain. And one day, King David walked up on it thinking it was a mountain. And he, he climbed the horn. 
uh, of the Re'em. But then it woke up and it stood up and David was lifted up into the heavens. Uh, and he was like, oh, crap, <laughs> this is too high for a human to be and I don't like it. Uh, so then God caused a lion to appear. And since the lion is the king of beasts, the Re'em knelt down before it and then David hopped off. Mm. But then he's face to face with a lion. So then God sent a gazelle to distract the lion, possibly an oryx, hmm. possibly an oryx and another oryx, yeah. two types. So it's it's a little confusing in the text. Mm-hmm. Like people, I think, agree now, like you said, that the Re'em, as described here, is the aurochs, the, the big wild ox. Mm-hmm. But there is this passage in Psalms. It says, the voice of Yahweh makes Lebanon skip like a bullock and Syrian like a young Re'em, mm-hmm. which is like skipping. You would think of an antelope, in my mind, less like an, a wild ox. Could be, although baby cows do skip. Oh, you're right. They do. And it's very adorable. It's very cute. Um, we should all be vegans. But then in Job, the one that points to the wild ox translation, mm-hmm. and this is all opposed to like the, the crazy medieval European ones that turn it into like rhinoceros and unicorn. Right. Um, the one in Job says, Shall the Re'em be willing to serve thee or will he stay at thy crib? Canst thou bind the Re'em with thy thong to plow or will he break the clods of the valleys after thee? So the Re'em is an ox that you can't tame. Tame. That can't pull a plow. He can't be tamed. He can't be tamed. <laughs> you don't know that that's a Miley Cyrus song, nope. do you? Okay, cool. I thought we were just singing. <laughs> Um, the actual real life aurochs, mm. um, became like the modern cow. Hmm. Um, but you know, it looks more like actually, so I've been to Israel and the cows there look more like the cave painting cows. Hmm. They look different. Also, we went to India mm-hmm. uh, last year and the... By the way, thank you, India. <laughs> thank you, innocence. Thank mm-hmm. you, disillusionment. Um, the cows there are a different like breed. Yes. Um, and that's also descended from the aurochs. Um, and it looks kind of more like... The cave painting style. Yeah, the mm-hmm. cave painting style. I got a couple more beasts for you here. Yeah, let's crank them out. All right. I got the, there's this mythical forest, the Bay Eli. Okay. What, where is this? What is, what are we talking about it's here? It's just a mythical forest somewhere in Israel, I guess. Okay. Or somewhere around Israel. I wouldn't call you exactly a, a tail spinner here. <laughs> there's a mystical forest. I don't know where it's, it is. Uh, it's, you know, it's whatever. Um, So... These are the first mythological creatures that actually do not appear in the Bible at all. Okay. They're from the Be'ili, and they're called the Keresh and the Tigris. And the Keresh is, um, that actually kind of is a unicorn. It's, it's, mm. a, it's a giant deer. It's 15 cubits. Holy so shit. Everybody knows how That's big that is. That's a lot of cubits is. of deer right uh, there. And it has a single horn. Um, the Tigris is... Actually, a lion. Um, I'm not 100% sure where like the, the word tigris comes from because in the Talmud, it says aria, which is the Hebrew word for lion. Yeah. It's a lion. Yeah. Um, but so the story about the tigris goes that uh, the Roman emperor Hadrian said to the rabbi Joshua ben Hananiah, who was around at the time. Mm-hmm. 
he apparently had been reading his... He invited his, him over for dinner? Or something? Yeah, he invited him over for dinner and he had been reading his Tanakh. And he said, you know, <laughs> Amos 3.8 says, uh, the lion has roared who will not fear. Um, you know, and if your God is like a lion, well, that don't impress me much because humans kill lions all the time. Mm-hmm. And, in uh, fact, we're getting pretty close at yeah. this particular <laughs> moment in history to wiping them out. We're killing too many lions. And Rabbi Joshua said, well, this is not just like any lion. This is like the lion from the forest of Eli. Hmm. And uh, Hadrian was like, well, what does that mean? And so Rabbi Joshua prayed for the lion to emerge from its forest, uh, this giant magical lion, and, and head over to Rome. So it does. Why would you name your giant magical lion Tigris? That's well, like naming your cat dog. It's Arya in the Talmud, hmm. which is just lion. So when this lion is 400 parasangs away from Rome. <laughs> okay. Which is about a thousand miles. Okay. It roars so loudly. This goes back to the other loud roarer that we mentioned earlier. It roars, it roars so loudly that all the bridges and city walls of Rome collapse. Oh, shit. And the pregnant women all have miscarriages. Holy shit. When it's 300 parasangs away, it roars again, and the molars and front teeth of the people fell out. Wait, this is because Hadrian asked a slightly doubting question of this rabbi at dinner? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you don't even want to know what type of lion our God is like. You don't even want to know. And it was this type of lion. It was the type of lion that makes women have miscarriages and makes your molars and front teeth fall out with its roar. It's a bad dream. Um, And so at that point, Hadrian begs Rabbi Joshua. (laughs) I uh, get it. Presumably with a lisp now because his front teeth are gone uh, to turn the lion around. And so Rabbi Joshua prays again and God sends the lion back to the mythical forest. Hmm. And that is the uh, Karish and the Tigris. I like that. I like that style of story, though, because like. It's not only a fun story mm-hmm. about people's teeth falling out, yeah, but it teaches teaches you a lesson. A fun story about miscarriage, about how to interpret the Bible. You know that, like, when it's talking about an animal, it may not be talking about like the real life version of an animal. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lion, but then there's a lion of of God. You know, which is like really a whole R-E-L separate means thing. Lion of God, of course, yeah. So I don't know. I like that story. Yeah, I I do too. It's it's a very nice allegory. It's like a conception of God that stretches back from some of the earliest biblical stories like Job to after the Bible was written, you know, Mm -hmm. when you have the Talmud. So that's interesting. Do you think it's time to rate this book? I think it might be time. I mean, it's not a book. Yeah, to rate this like... We'll rate these monsters. Collection of monsters. Yes. Rate these Pokemon. Mm -hmm. How would you rate these beasts, my dear? I'm going to give them a full five out of five giant eggs that flood 60 cities wow unprecedented score I, explain yourself first of all i love aminals okay and second of all i love folklore mm-hmm. uh, and i just think every like all the research i did was just so riveting and i was so interested in all these animals and the weird stories that are connected to them i was especially interested that they almost all actually occur in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know that before doing this. I mean, I've, we did an episode on the book of Job. I read it, but I didn't pay that much attention to like, oh, yeah, there's 
phoenixes in there and like unicorns in yeah. there. Uh, I think that's like a really interesting glimpse into how Jewish mythology changed over time mm-hmm. from very, very early stories like Job into post-biblical stories like the lion coming over to Rome. Yeah, yeah. That guy getting zizzed up to Spain and yeah. whatever. Yeah. That's how about cool. you? I'm going to give it 9 out of 14 pagan sports. Whoa. That's significantly lower than I gave it. What's what's your rationale? <laughs> you know, it's it's cool. I I it, I don't have any particular ill feelings towards the beasts of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in the Bible itself, there's not not as much of the interesting mythology that you were talking about. That's true. And most of the interesting stuff comes from people mistranslating it later. <laughs> And being the like, transla- of course, yeah, we have to draw a distinction because to me, translation issues are the most interesting thing in the world mm-hmm. and they're not for you. So obviously I'm going to give it. A I mean, I find score. them interesting, just not maybe as interesting as you do. Yeah, sure. So like when it's all like, oh, there are dragons in the Bible. It's like, no, they're not. They're actually talking about jackals or whatever, because they're somebody talking about night jars. <laughs> somebody in the 16th century screwed it up, yeah. you know, and that's it. That's the most interesting thing in the world to me. I can't even imagine anything more interesting. <laughs> However, Behemoth and Leviathan, I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and what those about are... that Ziz? I don't mind the Ziz as well. Have, have you heard of the Ziz before this episode? Absolutely, yeah. So the Ziz, I think I must have known about from a video game. Uh, one of these Japanese video games? It's possibly in uh, a Shin Megami Tensei of some kind. They're so into Jewish mythology for some reason. Those guys in particular are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know why, but it's provided a a very solid foundation for my mythological knowledge. They're truly doing the Lord's work. They are, they are, whether they like it or not. I'm just imagining when we were outside the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, some Hasidic Jews approached you because you looked Jewish enough and they told you, you know, oh, do you want to come to... Well, they first of all, they came <laughs> up to me and they asked, excuse me, sir, are you Jewish? And I had to be like, well, uh, <laughs> yes. Non-believing sort of Jew. <laughs> Let me link you to my podcast. <laughs> it's like a, a yes with a heavy sigh and, a, and a, <laughs> an implied question mark. And they were like, you know, come. Uh, no, they say, will you wear teflim? Yeah. <laughs> will you wear teflim? I'm like, no. <laughs> but, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining if they knew you knew about the Ziz. Yeah. They'd be like, yes, this guy's on board, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but actually you got it from Japanese video games. Yeah. I mean, yes. Look, I'm a modern man and a gamer to my core. Look, I've said enough. <laughs> you need to accept that. I, I totally, I accept it unconditionally. Hey, baby. Yeah? You want to crack the mailbag? Let's crack the mailbag. Uh, listener Sarah wrote in to tell us about her sweet, fluffy dog, Chewy. Sarah's... Moving into a new house that has unfortunately encountered major construction delays. And so they've had to, like, move around a lot and stay in motels. And Chewie is very anxious and he cries in his sleep, so he needs a little blessing. He's an extremely cute dog, and it's distressing to hear that Chewie is upset. So here's a blessing adapted from God's monologue in the book of Job. Look at Chewie, who I made along with you. His tail sways like a cedar. He ranks first among the works of God. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't mention uh, there's a lot of discussion about what 
tail swaying like a cedar might actually does, have been uh, originally. It does come on the heels of a lot of talk about loins and thighs, <laughs> but, you know, I thought we want Chewy to wag his tail. Yep. Listener Caleb also wrote in to say that a long time ago we cursed his cat Scoops, but he has since acquired another cat, Poppy. Congratulations, by the way. Quote, who is in need of a curse after being the first to sample a baked cheesecake that was cooling on the bench. Wow. Poppy. Unquote. Wow. Cracking that cooling cake like a cartoon 20s hobo. Don't like it. You love, hate to see it. <laughs> love to be it. So to Poppy, I say, who let Poppy go free? Who untied her ropes? I give her the wasteland as her home, the salt flats as her habitat. Also adapted from God's monologue in Job. Yeah, let me tell you a little something, Poppy. No cheesecake in the salt no flats. No cheesecake in the salt flats. But that'll do it for today's episode of Sunday School Dropouts. It's been a banger. A nonstop thrill ride. Riotous entertainment. Beamed directly into your ears from internet satellites? Wow. Holy shit. They wouldn't believe me if I told them so. <laughs> Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled with an A like, uh, do we have any A animals? Like an Aurochs. Hmm. Uh, the one with an A, not the one the with one an with O. The one with an A, not the one with an O. Although my name does start with O, like the one with an O. Not the one with an A. Um, <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Nico Bakulich, N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. Dot com. Also, you can email us at contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. That's lol, not dot com. Uh, you can perhaps, uh, I don't know, sign up for, for an excerpt, a free excerpt, and a pre-order discount of the anthology that I co-edited, emptythepews.com. If you like this show, you'll almost certainly like the anthology. Yeah, it's got it's previous like guests. Deal. Yeah, it's got, there's hella podcast guests that are on there, like Garrett Conley, Juliana Delgado-Lopera, uh, Matthew Clark Davison, just everybody. The Stroopy? The, the Stroopy is my co-editor, a previous guest on the show, known as The Stroopy. In this household. As always, we'd like to thank Elise Carlton for her work on our beautiful logo and website. And I always, of course, thank Nico for his music sound engineering and editing skills you're very welcome my dear we'll be back in two weeks uh there's still frankly a lot to talk about uh you'll be surprised there's a lot to talk about about the bible <laughs> hope you check the syllabus and if you don't do the reading i'll know and you will get an f for fun my name is nico bagulich i'm lauren o'neill and we'll see you on sunday bye 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 bye